Welcome again to another episode here as we're here. I'm very excited about my guest today because a lot of folks don't know about it, but man, he is the man behind the scenes of our music scene. And yes, Columbia does have a music scene. For those of you who don't believe it, I will argue with you every day of the week about that. But very excited to have Jay here. Jay Madison, welcome. Hello, how you doing? Great to be here. Thanks for asking me. You know, it's funny, Jay's, I think Jay's a little bit uncomfortable because he's usually on the other side of the mic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I record a fair amount of podcasts at the studio, you know, some businesses and and such. And uh, I mean, mostly I'm known for doing music, but I just did a book for a, a local fella uh, that, uh, you know, like a business oriented thing. So it's actually fun doing podcasts. I love recording uh, podcasts and stuff. So I think as I get older, I mean, I get more varied in what I enjoy doing. Well, since you segue that in, you got to tell a lot of people pass Rosewood all the time and they see a sign, but they really don't know about the jam room. They don't, they don't know the history of it, how it came, you know, some of the highlights of it. So maybe you could just start about how did the jam room start? Well, I guess it's, it's really probably more about, my, you know, my travels in, in life. You know, I was uh, I was in media arts uh, at USC and got out of there in 82. And then I just wanted to be like in a band and play. I was a bass player. I played in, you know, you know some popular local bands and things like that. But it, but then I started working as a live sound engineer. and I did a lot of mixing, uh, you know, at places like Rockefellers and such like that. And all the smaller venues like, uh, you know, the Grow Cafe. You know what I'm talking about? I even did uh, I did Sonic Youth in the Grow Cafe. So I did a lot of crazy things as far as being a live sound engineer. So that's when I started getting used to charging for my services. And this is before there were like a lot of sound companies and before there were any studios around that were really reliably recording bands. So I kind of segued from being a live sound engineer, uh, slowly started segueing into recording. And I bought like an eight track tape machine and was using my live equipment to do that and of course I knew all the bands because I would do sound for them live and everybody was excited about what I'd done for them there so I was friends with everybody so that was kind of a way to, to start the studio the first building I actually recorded in was down on North Main it was called Big Jim's Records it was across from the old Krispy Kreme that's now is that a, still a funeral home down there Yeah, yeah right yeah, down yeah. from uh, Curiosity Coffee and what all that stuff is now so it's actually torn down so I was actually in the hippest part of town like about what, 32, 35 years ahead of it. That, the building you were is, a pioneer, man. You were, yeah. you were the guy. Yeah, the only place you could eat there was around there when we recorded was... Zesto's, probably. Well, it was, that was uh, beyond where we could walk, and I didn't even realize it was down there, but it wasn't far, but we would just go get donuts all the time. And we were just living off donuts and coffee down there. So, Jay, are you claiming that you were the original guy who came up with using a donut as a bun for a hamburger? Oh, no, I'm not that clever. <laughs> Although I did uh, make uh, popcorn and bacon grease is really good. Okay, I haven't tried that one. Yeah, after you fry your bacon and you, know, and you don't clean the pan out, and it's getting later in the day, and you say, wow, I need to cook some popcorn, just throw it in the bacon grease. That's really good. I just learned something today, folks, that I'm going to go home and try. Yeah, um, but, but I guess, you know, and, and, and then, the, you know, we ended up out down there because uh, it, was a, it was a fire and all of our, our band's equipment burned up and we ended up sharing a space in that, that building. And then we went over, uh, we got a space later on. The, my old band was Bachelors of Arts and so my studio traveled with the band. It was my band's practice place and where I recorded. And we were there, you know, where Stormwater is? Yeah. Stormwater Studio. We were right there 
pioneer, uh, you know, underwear um, stronghold another, athletic was. Another pioneer. Yeah, so we were down there too. We were so we were in a basement down there for years recording, and it what happened was uh, all these bands. So who's your landlord? We ended up with like twenty or thirty bands moved in all around us, and it got so loud we had to yet move again. So then um, uh, I was told about this space on, and this was around '92. We moved to the the place over there on Rosewood. And we had recorded some noteworthy records, like uh, at the old place, like some punk bands uh, that were big, you know, like Inhumanity and uh, uh, Anti Schism was was a really big punk band from Columbia back in the day, and they're still like world renowned as, as a you know trendsetters uh, in the genre. It's basically you know hardcore. Yeah. You know, Where did they play back then? Well, they real DIY sorts of places. Okay. You know, they would let them play at Rockefellers and places like that, and they would tour all over the country, and they were real popular. But it was the first time that where I had to record somebody, and they were just screaming, uh, and I'd never and, you know like now we hear even on the radio people are screaming instead of singing and it's become normal but in you know way back then in 88 89 i'd never heard anybody just screaming every last word just like they're tearing their throat up screaming it was my first experience recording that sort of stuff so and then i ended up for years that's all i recorded was hardcore and punk and things like that but once the studio moved to the uh those records kind of took seed and people heard those records then you had people driving from memphis and dallas and baltimore and things like that because this was back when the recording was tape based so people couldn't just pop up with a, a computer and and an interface and start recording people it was very difficult to to get the skill set together to do it so so that's what kind of that's what kind of built the jam room uh was you know that these bands that played crazier music that that a lot of people didn't understand you know there was i'd been doing these bands live i knew what they were about so you know they had a home at the studio and that's kind of what what made the jam room what it was but you know in the early days i was still working live gigs i would go out and do i do sign at weddings and frat parties and things like that on the side but also had a couple of kind of partners dave alawine and greg davis they were also working at the studio there they're with me but that's kind of how the whole thing started it was very uh uh chris bickle who's the lo local filmmaker uh, uh like likened me to spanky from spanky and the gang and uh and the studio being the little place where they all used to hang out and put on plays and shows that it was just a place where everybody could do come and do uh whatever clubhouse yeah a clubhouse uh, but he was a uh, but uh and there was definitely i mean i grew up watching those shows so i think maybe there's some truth to that you know you know jay you know, what i find so interesting number one I, I laugh when i heard you say eight track because my first car i owned was a two-door cutlass with an eight track player and it came with two eight tracks richard Pryor live on sunset Street. oh wow yeah and beach carolina beach music what year so, was your car 1969 uh and I remember riding down the road, and they, either somebody was cussing about a monkey, or, or I was shagging to the the sounds of the swinging medallions. It was a, it was an interesting ride. I didn't invest a whole lot in uh, eight tracks because I had a, I had saved up my money from that summer job and got a 
a portable cassette player, and I thought I was the king. I had a 71 Chevelle with an eight track AM in it. Oh, Uh, you were all in. Yeah, and uh, you know, and then it tore up, and I had to get one of those that hangs under the dash, the eight track player under the dash. So that was, uh, you know, some serious 70s action right there. It's so interesting to see, but you know, when you, you you talked about, you know, when you talk about live music in Columbia. And, and let's just let, let's talk about you know the phase from eighty eight to ninety eight. Columbia was hot. That oh, it was decade. on fire. Yeah, it was definitely um, on fire. Rockefellers, Green Streets. You know, people playing at the Cockpit, New Brooklyn Tavern. Um, I'm trying to think where else we saw people, but when I think about the acts, it shows that the Grove. I mean, they it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, Mike Watt was playing there. Like I said, Sonic Youth in there. It was nuts. The stuff, and I was just starting out doing sound, but they needed anybody that had any idea what they were doing. But I loved it. You know, I was just, you know, trying to get ahead in the music business as a musician. I'd never had any luck at that point, but there I was. You know, going out and doing sound for some great things. So I really uh, had a great feeling of belonging and that I was doing something that, that seemed to me fairly important, uh, you know, at the time. Oh, uh, you know, when you think about Rockefellers, you think about music, I mean, the bands that I saw in there at that time in a small venue were unbelievable. And you're like, oh, definitely. I, you know, seeing Derek Trucks at 13 up there playing, and you're like, holy, this this guy's incredible. And, and everybody from the screaming Cheaty Wheelies to Colonel Bruce in uh, uh, Aquarium Rescue. And, I mean, you name it. And, of course, our local celebrities. can't I can't talk about music in Columbia without talking about two different folks. Tootie and the Jones and Hootie and the Blowfish. I mean, how, you can't have a conversation in Columbia without that. Yeah, that was the, or the Carolina Plowboys. The, the, um, the Hootie and the Blowfish thing was definitely a pivot actually uh at a certain point uh for for the scene you know where uh, a lot of people that were playing underground music just said screw it at that point i'm gonna play pop music now and uh they uh uh so it was a very interesting time i was always more into underground music uh and uh, as soon as i'm as soon as I met uh, Hootie's manager i knew that they were going to do well because i'd never seen a band with an actual plan before you know, we were just playing music, and like I was in this band called Bachelors of Art, and everybody thought we were going to be the big, big, next big thing. But and we were very popular, but we had no real plan. We would just go out and play. We would Whoever a few booked songs. you, that's where you showed yeah, up. Yeah, we had no plan, uh, and there was really no no chance of uh, getting anywhere. But they had a, a plan and somebody to you know to put Executed, that plan in there. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, interesting to see. Uh, oh, it was just, I mean, I, I was trying to think of all the different bands the other day. Somebody said we ought to do a, a, a post on Facebook and ask people to put down all the bands that they saw in Columbia during that, that decade. Because, I mean, it was an incredible talent that came through here, both nat- big acts that came through, but all the local acts, I mean. Oh, yeah were incredible and playing all over the city. I mean, I remember we'd hop in the car and drive to Charleston or Asheville or uh, Athens or Augusta to go see bands. I mean, you just road tripped because you became, you know, oh, God, yeah, they're playing tonight. Let's go. I never really did much of that because I was so busy just working shows, uh, you know, like – you know, I used to, this guy Eddie Blakely, who's passed now, was a good friend, and he was uh, he booked bands at at Rockefellers, and he had uh, called it was, I think it was called Wildlife Night on Mondays, and he would book stuff, and that's the first time I heard Southern Culture on the Skids, 
But I was I was uh, booked one time to to uh, just show up and, and mix a band, and it was Faith No More. And uh, of course, you know they were became, blew up a year or two yeah. later. But they were actually riding in the back of the rider truck with the door down. You know what I mean? In the dark. Oh, they they were they were going uh, planes, trains, and automobiles with John Candy. Yeah, yeah they said the they old, weren't playing poker. Yeah, so they were, there was a mattress in the back. So like the the guy driving the truck gets out and, and just rolls the board, and they're all like crashed out on a mattress in the dark. You know, and that was like kind of crazy world from 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 back then and then you know uh bands that are just monstrous now uh you know you would just see all the time when they were when they were small time back then it was it was kind of the flaming lips you know i you just see them all the time and now they're just the hugest deal ever you know it's so funny listening to you talk about all these names that people i forget about you know bands that i've forgotten about who've been in and out of our scene and and you, you, you forget that Columbia was a home at one point. So, you know, as we segue, we talk about music and how important it is to our, our city. I mean, when you see music in Columbia, where do you see it going? Or, or where do you see, do you think it can go? Because I love live music. I don't know anybody that does live music. I'd love to have more live music going on in the city and and how we encourage it but you know you've seen it transition over decades now just what do you think about it where where are we in the music scene and and the second question to that is is when you get done with that tell us what you think we ought to be doing as a city to improve the music scene well you know i guess you know the the thing you have to look at when you think about a music scene in the city of course the bands is one thing venues being another and uh, it used to be kind of a system there were record stores college radio and venues uh what's really interesting is uh how hard uh scratch and spin out in um casey or west columbia i don't know exactly where they are but how hard they work to be an old-timey record store that promotes the bands they you know like it used to happen but it used to be kind of a thing where the record stores and the local college radio station it was it was always it was kind of a bit of, of a machine but now the venues are left a little more on their own uh they have a with you know, all the competition of internet and other in you know gaming or whatever it is that's distracting people these days you know live music is a little bit of a tougher sell because they have other ways people have other ways to entertain themselves but I guess we have, you know, you know, it's, it's great that the music farm slash Senate thing came into town. That's been really good. But on, on the other hand, it's such a big room that local bands can't play it because it just financially doesn't work out. So that leaves you with across the river, you have New Brooklyn Tavern, you have the art bar. So uh, we, you know, it's always been, you know, you were talking about kind of our glory days of having some venues like that. And I guess it was more financially feasible back then, too, of, of Rockefellers. And then Green Streets is not as well known. And they were, you know, they weren't doing quite as gritty of a music as. Uh, but the Ramones played there, you know. Uh, so any place the Ramones play is on the map, you know. I saw but, Winston Marsalis there. I there saw. New Potato Caboose, I saw Widespread Panic. I mean, it's amazing what we saw on Green Streets back in the day. Yeah, and then you know, in Rockefellers, you'd see... White Animals. you see, like, a, the first... I saw Chuck Lavelle at the first Green Streets, the one that burned down. Burned down, which is now Andy's for those folks who haven't been 
around. Yeah, for that's a long old time. time. That's old man uh, stuff. There, when you went to the, all I ever went in there once or twice with my brother, but uh, we went into the original Green Street, which was on Green Street. Doug Imagine Goolsby. that. Doug yeah. Goolsby. Yeah. Uh, but you know, getting back to you know what we're where we're at with venues, is is you know that's always the thing. Like the bands have to have something to look forward to do, and a, a good place to play a show, and a place where they can you know develop an audience, and uh, you know. Uh, you have a lot of places that people are playing are not oriented toward original music. You know, you have basically two types of music. You have original music and cover bands, you know, and we have the new kind of thing of breweries, you know, being a kind of a boom for, for people, musicians to make money. But f for the most part, they're, you know, they're, it's like a wedding gig or something. You're kind of background entertainment, and they do not that that's always the case at all. They, they do hire bands that are playing original music, but typically, if you are playing original music, that's not where you go to introduce it to right. people that are hungry for new music. You know, they're going to play older bands like Sister Hazel or something like that, where people go to. You know, it's kind of like hearing cover music in a sense. They're going, you're going to hear familiar, familiar music. So the uh, boom of breweries has not really helped uh, original music, which leaves us like I still play in bands and play original music and try to promote it. And as people I record, they also do. And it leaves you playing like Art Bar and New Brooklyn Tavern and, you know, the Senate is something that I think – I think it might change more in the, in the future to something that's a little more accessible uh, to to local bands, but it's you know it's an expensive room to keep going, and you can't have a band show up there and draw fifty people. It just is not working. Yeah, so it's nothing I'm against them. What I'm hearing you say is we need another venue. We oh, need I, would, a I would definitely agree. We need a Rockefeller size venue. Yeah, something that the uh, two to five hundred people that if you only had 75 people it could still be profitable but you're exactly right i mean that would give bands uh something you know to uh can i tell you to, my to strive for yeah definitely you'll love this i think you'll appreciate it <laughs> so on the corner of sumter and taylor street is the old bethel ame church mm -hmm. and one of the things that we've been trying to do with that church over the years is turn it into a event space mm-hmm I think it would be our little Ryman. Oh, that would be great. Uh, think about it. 400 seats, maybe 450 if you squeezed it. But like you said, if there are 100 people there, it doesn't, it, you don't crowd it out. But I, all I could think about is the performance space and the acoustics and how cool it could be. And there's a group trying to put it together. And I think it'd be an incredible venue because I do think we need a, like you said, I think we need a smaller venue for live events especially music, a place that we can go to. I'd love to have a club again. You know, I'd love to have a 40 watt or something like that here. And hopefully we'll get that before long, but you know, there needs to be more opportunity for us to have live music. Definitely. Because like when, uh, I guess, you know, most of the bands that we all want to hear, you know, bigger bands, there's still bands that are smaller, that are good, that you just pick up the phone and call and say, hey, can you do this gig? They say, great, and they know they're going to get a door split, or if they're a little bit bigger, you might have to, you know, guarantee them an amount of money, but they're, you know, they're the bands, most of the bands people think about, they work through booking agents, and booking agents have relationships, and so when they're 
when a ex, you know, clutch or whatever band it is is going through an area, they knew who to call and 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 uh, like say for instance with the Jam Room Music Festival, we have uh, Trey Lofton is our new booking agent. Well, he used to book several different venues, and he worked and and all of a sudden we have a real booking agent now because he knows all these guys, and we're excited about that. But 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 having a booking agent that has a relationship with you know because when you think about it all these hundreds of bands we all want to hear there's only like four five or six eight whatever it is agencies representing them and if you have a local person that's the point person that they they know is cool and will treat people right and there's a venue that that makes sense monetarily you're on the map and they're going to call you you don't have to call them say hey we want to book whoever it is they're going to be calling you says hey so and so is coming through we got x date open uh, it costs as much do you want it and that's what used to happen to places like green streets and rockefellers you know the agents would say oh let's let's call uh scott over at rockefellers and or art later on and see if he wants this show um all we know that art likes uh hair metal in art did like hair metal you know uh and uh so that was an easy sell for art you know what i mean and uh <laughs> with uh you know before him the original rockefellers you know there was two eras of rockefellers there was the original where steve and scott were the the operators and then that closed down and then, and the then, came in. And then uh a bunch of the old guys that used to work there got together and art was most well known because he was he took the money at the door and everybody would see art but he was one of the new newer partners and he was the booking guy later on but there was you know jack and several other guys that were the also the lesser lesser known uh partners you know but anyway that they were they were on that list of you know places that would get the phone call or now i guess it was a phone call because that you know it's funny with that all this predates emails even Oh yeah, you it know, was the jamming predates you were, email. You were checking an answering machine. Oh yeah, we yeah. I had an answering machine. We didn't even have a computer in the building. I don't think I had a computer in college back then. I definitely didn't have one. I had to go to the lab. Oh yeah. If I was required to type a paper. When when uh when I was in media arts, everything was tape based. There was not a computer in the entire building that I knew of, except that we were in the bottom floor of the law center. I'm sure up in the law center they had some kind of uh, computers, you know, no, but we didn't just have read books. Yeah, everything they just yeah. read books. They they didn't know. You you mentioned the Jam Room Festival, so I mean it's a great segue, and we can follow back on some other thoughts. But the 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 Jam the the festival, talk about it a little bit. Why why did you why did y'all start it, and what does it look like coming into twenty twenty two? Well, 2022 would be our 10 years from the first one, but we had two years off because of COVID. But originally, you know, I was working, uh, uh, helping with uh, events, doing sound and things like the, some of those first Thursdays down at uh, on Main Street. And, of course, the arts and drafts, uh, you know, Phil Blair, you know, would get me to come in. And the help. wig fame, y'all. The yeah. wig fame for those who don't yeah, know. Wig, wig and Wico. Uh, Wico, of course, that's across the bridge. But that's but, that's but, in West Columbia. Yeah. We're only talking about Columbia right yeah. now. But for the, I mean, the, the the claim to fame is the wig. The wig is a the totally you know anomaly of a place in Columbia, and it's become like a, I don't know. The only reason you ever don't want to go to wig is because it's too full. 
It's just too popular sometimes because it's such an awesome place. I feel guilty. I haven't been in there in a long time. And I was like, the other day, somebody brought it up on the podcast we were doing. I'm like, I got to go to the wig. I need to go sit down there and have a beer at the bar and have a burger. Well, the students are gone. It's time to go. I went during COVID when they had like a limited time of thing and did reservations. So I would get reservations and go to the wig. And that was really a lot of fun. But the wig was all. I remember um, uh, it's funny, the early days of the wig, nobody was going down there. And what they did was all every time you went there, it was the first Black Sabbath album on the jukebox, and it would just play over and over. Finally, <laughs> finally they pulled it off because nobody could stand it anymore. It was like, but that's the kind of place it was, you know, play, you know, place where somebody would just spin the first Black Sabbath record twenty times in a row. I got a wig story. So a friend of mine is a, a grip with a movie company, and they were here filming a movie. Well, here twice they did uh, two movies. Uh, but one of them that that's where they would go hang out and they'd get off and he, he texts me at like two thirty in the morning. Hey, we're going to the wig. We just wrapped up. Do you want to join us? I'm like, well, my two kids are in bed and I got to get up in four hours. So no, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll skip and miss this one, but they all used to hang out at the wig. I can't blame them. It's a great spot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of world renowned, you know, if, when people from out of town, uh, you know, when I would work a show or something, uh, or with other music festival or anything like that, is anybody wants to know where do I go to have you know a drink and something to eat? It's like, you know, the wig is the green room for the jam festival. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely, definitely a bit of an after party. We used to earlier on we had after parties, but those um, we haven't been really cultivating those so much. But this year, you never know. We have a new board this year. One thing about us, you know, we're, we're a nonprofit, so we have to have a board. So we have a brand new board this year. So I'm very you know stoked about that have a you know a whole new group of people working on it well i'm excited that you know the city has been um providing funding through the hospitality which they will oh, definitely this year and i think it's a great thing i'd like to have more music festivals here i'd like to have a lot more live music and outdoor music and you know one of the points of that we're doing with finley park is we're we're going to build an amphitheater into the hill and we're really going to build something nice so that we can try to book some some outdoor shows out there. I'd like to see it as a year-round venue. That because would be great. nine months out of the year, you can enjoy being outside in Columbia, maybe ten months. Yeah, in the evening in the in the summertime months. I was uh, I was hanging out with a friend this morning, and we were talking about now that I'm doing the Jamming Music Festival. That's like mostly like national and regional acts. But we were wondering, like, the, the whole thing of putting more of a local band thing together, if you want to have a show where, you know, maybe it was a couple of thousand people show up max, so that where would you even do it, you know? And in Columbia itself, currently, there's not an outdoor space. Uh, no, you'd have to go to the township. It's the only place. Oh, that and you can't do that. That's crazy expensive. Yeah, but, I mean, think about it. 2,500 yeah. seats, that, that's what it is. But where would you go outside right now? I guess you could set up in Bull Street at the park there, but you got you got no bathrooms, you got nothing. Right, and you that's the no thing about, let's say, the Jam Room Music Festival, you know, the logistics of that, you know, you gotta uh, you got to hire X amount of police, you have to have uh, fire people there, you have to have Porter Johns, and all this infrastructure uh, before you even start hiring out the stages, the PA systems, and... And the bands, and you know, you got to pay insurance and all that, and to have some place where a lot of that was built in, and 
that would make it a lot easier to do uh, events like that. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, I was, uh, uh, they had a, what's the thing that they have is right before pride. You know, the, what a, they, they closed down the street right in front of art bar out there, park street, Outfest, right, man, they closed down that one little street. That was a nice little thing though. You could, I think there is some, you know, smaller street closures that wouldn't really, Oh, I think we ought to that be doing more event. stuff like that. You know, yeah, where I think you, so. you take a block and you just cut down a block. I mean, I know neighborhoods that are doing that now. You know, we do we do porch concerts at my house, but people have been doing little block concerts and they cut down their street and they bring their friends. They got a couple hundred people out there listening to a local band if it's some bluegrass or whatever, and they're having fun. I, I think the opportunity to do those type of things, if it's in the Vista Main Street, North Main, or even Five Points, would be fun. Think about if we could shut down Saluda Avenue at night and put a band at one end and just have it that open where people could go listen to some great local music and they want to go dinner at Saluda's or Publico or go to the gourmet shop, which I believe Amy Beth would be open if they were, if the band was playing outside. Oh yeah. Enjoying that. But you know, these are the type of things we've got to do. And I think it'd be fun to get folks that have been involved in your festival and other festivals together and say, all right, how do we plan a series of live? And I want it to be a variety. You know, maybe we got the Philharmonic one time, you know, I mean, variety is definitely good because, you know, uh, you know, there's not as many bands as there used to be. I mean, there's only X amount of, amount of rock and roll bands or funk bands or indie rock. Now, there's a lot of those. The indie rock is probably the... Tootie and the Jones will be one of the first, by the way, and then the distributors, just to put that out yeah. there. You know, yeah, that's... I mean, cover Jay bands are, are fun, too. I mean, all of it's good, and uh, there's room for everything. But, yeah, I think uh, that was the thing about the old days of Rockefellers. You know, I go in one night, and you're doing reggae. The next night, you're doing, like, like the concert. Connells or something like just that. Just went and saw them at the Senate. Yeah, that's how I learned about the Connells. I had just that just showed up. You just would show up. They said, "Can you do sound Tuesday?" Like, yeah, and you just show up, and there's the Connells. You know, I show up one night to do sound. It's like Skinny Puppy or something. You know, it's like, and you would just be doing sound for anybody you would show up for. And, and, and in retrospect, they're like these huge demigods of the scene. But back then, it was back when they were probably making maybe five hundred thousand bucks sleeping in. The Ford Econo line. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, things aren't like that now, obviously. But, um, you know, and there's all there's also, you know, one thing that's different now is there used to be like a regional band. So we're like all these bands in Raleigh and such. And that's one thing that's kind of fallen apart in general. You know, it's like there's not a band, a lot of bands that can come up from Charleston and pack a room in Columbia. It's and a lot, a lot of, yep. Yeah. And a lot of same with, uh, it, but it used to be that way. You could have a couple of, you know, moderately popular bands from Greenville come down here and pack, pack, pack the room. So it's a little harder for bands to tour and, and go out of town and things like that. And then, so there is a kind of a breakdown of the old mechanism where you would, you know, you would play your home city, then you would stretch out and play within a driving range, then you start doing some bigger tours. It's much more difficult for bands these days, but you know, 
being a city and a place is welcoming and uh let's like uh that people think is a cool place to come we got sixty thousand students here we got forty five thousand recruits that come through we get 15 million visitors a year our problem is is we get 15 million visitors but only five million stay so if we continue to do things like build up this scene i think people are going to stay overnight. oh definitely I mean, Widespread panic, three shows at the township, completely packed in Columbia. Every restaurant, and that weekend was crazy because we had widespread for three days. We had a home basketball, men's, home uh, women's game, and baseball all going on at the same time. I've never seen our town so filled with people all doing things outdoors engaged in fun, spending money downtown, going to Soda City. So, you know, you've seen the music change over Columbia for years. You get to see a lot of people come through the jam room. Who's the new young hot band or artist that you think we ought to know about that this born and bred here? That, that, that's always a tough one, you know. There's uh, there's all sorts of different genres of music, you know. There's... Uh, uh, you know, like uh, Stagbriar is probably one of the mis- most well-known kind of poppier, uh, like um, indie rock bands. You know, and then there, there's Dear Blanca, and those actually that band actually shares uh, members with each other, and those guys are out touring and doing stuff. And then uh, I guess maybe there's some really young kids that, you know, I don't see all of them like I used to. When the jam room started out, we used to have the what was called the punk special. And for $195, you could come in and do two or three songs. And I would see everybody. But now people can record at home and such, and the punk special doesn't exist anymore because nobody wants it anymore. Uh, but that, you know, that was a thing that I used to see everybody. Now... I don't see everybody like like I used to, so I have to go out to try. And getting older, you know, I don't go out and see as much as I used to, so I'm not nearly as, as in, in in touch. Uh, but you know, when I was still, I used to go out like and do a little bit of live sound and see some stuff at the museum and things like that. But a lot of great bands, you know, um, come and go too. But uh, those those are two bands that are probably very popular within this indie rock sort of thing but i don't know it's not like we have already a big country artist or a big you know um so you brought up a great point as a follow-up i wanted to ask about is is with today's technology and people recording at home and you know people using facebook reels and other stuff to get there how do you how does jam rooms stay relevant i mean i know there's music lessons stuff but for for that that artist what where's the threshold that crosses over that they go you know what i gotta go to the jam room to get get this cut yeah we don't do music lessons so that's like the columbia arts academy we share a building with them so we but we do teach we do we do teach classes for midlands tech for audio engineering so we do an audio engineering certificate program yeah it's called midlands audio institute so we teach a uh it's we work for midlands tech so we've been since oh four we've been actually 
running a certificate program for Midlands Tech for audio engineering. Man, I'm going to sign up for that. That's my retirement. So uh, I just want to go listen to music. And what's crazy is the, you know, it's all a little off topic, but the explosion of uh, jobs there are for audio engineers out there. Oh, it's got to be huge right now. It is huge. And we've done real well. So that's the one, that's the thing that's keeping us relevant in a sense is we're also teaching, which is probably, you know, now 35, 40% of our income is from that. Wow. And uh, and it's been a very popular program. And I have to shout out to Midlands Tech. They've done an excellent job of really nurturing what we're doing and what the students are doing. They, Midlands Tech is serious about training people to get jobs. So we're lucky to have them here they're, in Columbia. They're 22,000 of the 60,000 students that we have in this Columbia. I mean, they are a third of it. They have a huge impact in our community. Yeah, I've had very good experience with them in general and, and happy to be working with and for them. And, uh, you know, USC has got a new program here. It's a music industry program. I heard this rumor Paul Graham was over there. Yep, Paul Graham has got something to do with that. And it's got, uh, and actually the uh, guy that's heading that up, Jeremy Pauly, is actually on the Jamming Music Festival board. Right. You mentioned Rusty Harmon earlier today yes. in this conversation, and uh, Rusty actually had a young artist he was representing, that, and they came and shot a video up at the lake, at our place at the lake, uh, and he teaches a class um, at, at, uh, at North Carolina State. Uh, but he's also he's going to the record label. He's working for a record label now. Rusty is? Rusty is gone and working for a record label. I, I, see I ran him. into him in Nashville. He's remarried, got some young kids, um, just doing really well. Um, had a great time catching up with him. Uh, I see his, his artists every once in a while uh, around town, but uh, interesting how it all ebbs and flows. Yeah, um, I don't know. Did we say earlier that Rusty was the Hootie and the Blowfish manager? We didn't, but I know who well, you were talking in, about. <laughs> we'll we'll tie, tie it in for everybody. Yeah, Rusty was the Hootie and the Blowfish. And it's, He's it, the guy it, who heard the tape and then went after it. Yeah, I, 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 um, I do see him every now and then, and it's interesting. He's, uh, you know, what he he was doing like golfers or something at some point, right? I mean, they it? were, they, you know, they were He's involved been all over the place. in everything. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it's always interesting how many people that I met through through those guys and all have networked into to the music. I got lots of friends that are songwriters in um, Nashville that I keep up with and different artists and music's always been because I'm te- I, I can't sing about the only thing I can do is play the spoons, but I will get up every once in a while on stage if you're not careful and and belt out some driving and crying or, or something yeah. because I can't help it. I found that as older I get, the more I gravitate back to the music I listened to in college. It's amazing. Well, definitely. I, I play in a band now called Brandon the Butcher, and everything that we do sounds like some sort of 70s rock. You know, it doesn't 70s even go, isn't everything. you got to admit it, Jay. Yeah. I don't care if it's punk or whatever. Everything uh, you listen yeah. to, somehow there's a 70s kind of yeah, vibe to it. Yeah, late 60s and 70s is really, you know, my. there's always my preferred thing and when I were and as a, a recording engineer that's kind of what I've made of you know I go about re- making records like kind of like the way they did in the 70s and I'm a big you know you know I was, was in high school in the 70s so I guess you know that's what it was but th- that being said I mean there's something different about the music from the 70s totally different from 80s totally different from 90s totally different from 60s 
Oh, there's no doubt. The 70s were very interesting. Growing up, listening to AM, I grew up in Spartanburg, so WORD was our AM station. I remember I was like, man, I got so excited. I was riding my bike, and I had a radio on my bike, and battery-powered radio, and I could get on the word, and I would ride and ride listening to you know everything and and i laugh today i mean i i i really do i love a lot of love a lot of the new artists and love to go out but i'm so excited that i've got to go see the eagles the stones you know fleetwood mac i've been able to go see driving and crying and indecision and the connells and, and you know you go back and see see these old bands and and you listen to old music i mean i even started buying lps from from the old days and oh yeah like to play them around that at the office and you realize you know music played is such a big part in every stage of your life and and every time I hear a song or whatever, it's like memory row. I can remember where I was, who I was with, what we were doing. Well, sometimes I don't want to remember what we were doing, but you know, it was it was incredible. And music is so important and and so, you know, I think we want to continue to try to grow that music scene in Columbia. And venue sounds like one of the things we need to do, continuing to support the festival that y'all are doing. But, you know, it's funny. You see these reels. Like somebody showed me a reel the other day of a group. I think it's called Band McMillan. And it's two young people, three young people. So what's funny about it is there this is this, this little reel about it, and the, the guy they're talking to is wearing a Ben Lip, and I was like, that's Columbia, South Carolina. How do I not know who these people are? You know, and so I don't know. I want to figure out a way to expose our music scene. I think we got a cool one. Yeah, there's still a lot of music being made. There's, you know, we, we still – there's, there's just all sorts of different, you know, we have our heavy music scene, you have a, a small punk scene, you have, uh, you know, the jazz scene is, is doing really, really well. There's actually getting a few more uh, places that the jazz uh, guys are playing, and I think the jazz scene here, even though I'm not a jazz player and I don't go to a lot of, to partake a lot, uh, but that's doing really well right now, I, you know, kind of. You know, you kind of sometimes neglect things that you aren't so much a part of because jazz guys don't often come to the studio unless they're coming doing the session work. Because a lot of times people need, you know, an incredible drummer or guitar player or whatever, the horn players, and you're going to call the j local jazz guys because those are oftentimes your session players that we bring in uh, for... That's a great thing about the studio, too. You meet a lot of the really cool musicians because they, they, you know, you need, to, you need the horn section, you know, Mark Rapp and a couple of guys are going to Who's come. your favorite artist you met? That I've met? Yeah. From the studio or from... From the studio. I mean, it's got to be personal because if you're just at their show, you, that's not as good as... Yeah, you know, I don't really meet a lot of, of, of people at, at the studio that are like any time big time artist. Uh, um, All right, then tell me who your favorite artist you met. Uh, I guess you know I like I met like a Mike Ness and Henry Rollins and, and people like that when I was doing live sound and that was very they'll probably you know oh the guys from Metallica were at the studio uh, a couple of years ago you know the uh, Robert and Kirk were in town for the thing and that was very really interesting especially uh, Robert was not as busy so he could hang around and chit chat so yeah thinking maybe Robert uh, from Metallica. 
uh, he was a really nice fella and it's really interesting to, to hang out with him and not just him but you know his uh, personal assistant and their other personal assistants were there and they're such nice people but Robert was such a you know, he's as big a rock star as you get kind of he you know, plays bass and Metallica and he was in Suicidal Tendencies and got he was all, in Suicidal Tendencies I didn't know that yeah I did sound for Suicidal Tendencies with him playing bass at Rockefeller's, one of the craziest things I ever did. So I had met him somewhat years and years before. But, uh, you know, I didn't even recognize him when he came in because he was so low-key. He just turned around and said, hey, I'm Robert. Shoot my hand. I'm like, uh. It took me a minute to even piece together that it was the Robert that, you know, that was the rock star. But he was probably, you know, uh, Mike Ness was a real fun guy. Uh, the sound for him. Uh, my band opened for him at Rockefeller's, and then I... Uh, 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 this friend of mine uh, run, ran a vintage guitar store, and I said, "You guys are into vintage guitars?" Because I saw a picture of them with their holding their old Harmony guitars. Time he said, "Oh yeah." So we all blew off sound check and we tore off in the old BOA van across the uh, across the bridge to West Columbia over there to where his shop was, and uh, and he was a, he was a, he was a fun guy. But uh, throughout years, you meet. Like when I met Henry Rollins, Henry Rollins didn't even speak to anybody in the whole building, so I don't meet him. In a sense, I met him, but I didn't really, you we know. Him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, I read I read his uh, a book, and he was in his dark place at the time. I don't think he was. He just didn't talk to anybody or something like that, you know. I just finished uh, What Would Keith Richards Do? Oh yeah, and that might be the funniest damn book I've ever read in my well, life. I, I read mean, his, his life book, it, but I hadn't read that one. Oh, you got to read it. I mean, his that little segues and and his comments. Some reporter asked him, you know, what is the what is the thing you regret the most and what is the thing that made you the most happy? And he said, Oh, that's easy. It's both the same thing, heroin. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. You know, most people when they kick it, they poo-poo it, you know. It's it's funny to you know, somebody look back on it, oh that was that oh that was a good but time. But that's just Keith. I mean, when you read his answers to questions and stuff, you're just like, This guy's hilarious, but it is pretty funny. Well, being straight up is also very funny. Like the really straight up answers, because most of us don't give you know, or a lot of people they color their answers with what people want to hear. Man, he doesn't care. No. He doesn't care, he doesn't have to care. And I think there's something about not caring. And, you know, when I do my, when I say my most humorous things, I'm not trying to be humorous. I just don't really care what anybody thinks. I'll say something and people are like, they think it's hilarious because you're just, you know, you don't care. What, um, and I guess that's a great thing about getting older, too. The older you get, the less you do care about what people think. And I think, you know, that's the difference between when you're being young and older in the sense you're not really worried about what your peers think about you. It's called growing up. Jim. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. We're growing up. Hey, look, we hadn't talked about food, so you know, every segment I talk about food because oh, definitely food and music. So I gotta ask, late night after show, where do you go to eat? Oh wow, you know, um, you know, you can't answer that without uh, bringing up Martin's. <laughs> eats. I remember Martin's. Martin's, eats. Uh, Martin's was the old place, and I don't do so much late night stuff any anymore. Uh, but you know, now they got food. I, I, like when I play music late night, I used I play a lot at the art bar, and they got food now, and it's actually very good. Of course, wig food is is great, uh, and I've done takeout. You know, even from the wig, but I don't have. 
Did you ever go to the Seaboard Diner for a Psycho oh, Burger? Oh yeah, I've had a Psycho <laughs> Burger. That, that was that's right in there with the, the with the Martins thing. I went to the original one and it clo- and it moved. You remember it moved a couple of times? Yep. It moved down the street, so I went to the original one. I think just once. And uh, you remember there was even that was that was the Capitol right where the Bourbon is uh, back Capitol in the day. Capitol Cafe. I, I spent many a nights in there. Oh, that was that for was a, a dirty place. Coke and a and an uh, old shoe. Yeah. Paul, and, you know, died two years ago. Oh really. You know, Paul, the waiter, had been there forever. Paul knew the dirt on everybody, every senator, every college student, you name it. My funniest experience at the, at the Capitol Cafe was it snowed in Columbia. I think it was, it must have been 89, 90. We had this huge snowstorm. And we had been down. I just finished working at Elbow Room. We were driving my Jeep up and down the Gervais Street Bridge and pulling the emergency, I mean, the Gervais Street Hill by Constant, pulling the emergency brake and spinning down. We had done this from like, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning to like 5.30. And we drove up and we saw that the Capitol Cafe was the only place open. It snowed down. And we pulled in and we sat down and ordered. And suddenly somebody goes, you do realize that everybody in here is a police officer but us, right? And about that time, an officer came up and he goes, is that your Jeep out there? Uh, yes, sir. He goes, we've been laughing at y'all for hours cruising down Gervais Street. <laughs> it's funny, but, you know, I used to go to, you remember across the river that was that place Swain's? I haven't heard that name in forever. That was the greatest hangover spot ever. And they used to have, they had a, always two things you knew were going to be on the uh, hot bar, banana pudding and fried out fat back. back. You remember they had that? But you'd always see all the cops and all the old politicians, like the kind of people you still see sometimes in a Kingsman sort of deal. Which you know? is one of my favorite places. It is in Casey. I will tell everybody that, but I love going over there and getting a ribeye. But did you, I'm sure you did Swain's uh, occasionally. In the afternoon oh, yeah. when they had the old thing. Compton's Kitchen, man, I could I could name every restaurant in town. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, your your podcast with Christian because I got a lot of you know reminiscence and remembering the, the you know the stuff that you used to do because you were really close to the jam room over there. Didn't did you do the filling station too? I did. I used to go over there and get the soup all the time. All the time, like lunch. Jimmy would be, Jimmy Mac. Yeah, Jimmy he Mac played bass too. Soup. Yeah, yeah, I knew Jimmy Mac. I would go in and see Jimmy Mac and I would get soup. But you get soup and you would get like a piece of a baguette and that would be my lunch or at the studio. We would go make a run over there to the filling station because you know for four bucks you could get whatever it was you get. Yeah, the, uh, Jimmy Mack made some great soup. Oh, he man. did. He's a funny fellow. God, he, he played. He played in all types of bands. He's playing in a band in Charleston. I get a note from him every once in a while. Most I see him post about his fishing these days, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you know, he had he had cancer real bad, and he beat I had, it. I don't remember that. Yeah, he beat it, but he made it. Oh, Jake. Uh, you know, we always try to finish with something about Columbia. What's your favorite thing about the capital city? Well, I really like where it's going. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you you brought up the whole idea about outdoor stuff. You know, I'm and hoping that that some of these uh, the the goals of having more outdoor spaces and more opening up some more trails or things like that are happening. But you know, uh, you know, it's all about a quality of life for, for those of us that that are that are here. And uh, man, if you look back. You know, just even 15 years walk down Main Street, it's, it's completely unrecognizable. And the sort of stuff that we have to do and it's going on and it's been happening for a while. You know, In the, 1992, Jay, would you have gone over to Main Street for anything? <laughs> 
Uh, not much. <laughs> I used to I used to do sound uh, for a band at a place called Mains Attractions. That's how far I go back. Do you remember, remember Mains Attractions? I really remember that one. That's what I'm saying. It's like it was a place called uh, it was General Jack and the Grease Guns, and uh, and this is like in more in the early '80s, and it was it was a gritty spot. But I remember when I was in the '70s. <laughs> There was nothing but head shops and stuff up and down. I remember coming to see Smokey and the Bandit in the Led Zeppelin movie in the 70s. And it was like there were there were mannequins in the windows with grass masks on, which were like, you know, you know what a grass mask yeah. is? <laughs> you know, and it was it was quite a, you know, a, a gritty air, area. And North Main, forget about it. You know, you wouldn't go out there at all. It's, it's, it's amazing it, how it's changed. It's amazing. And uh, the nurturing of the arts, I think, is a thing that really, too, you know, uh, the, the, I mean, you can't say enough about the nurturement of the arts uh, and the, 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 the people that are supporting the whole thing. We have such a huge infrastructure there for artists in general of all sorts. That's really great. You know, embracing outdoor activities, I think that's good. And I think, you know, there's some sort of plans in place for to expand the green uh, a greenway sort of thing. And I think that you can't overestimate that what that brings because if you – you ever hear people talk about other cities and what's great about other cities uh what they've done is always about some outdoor space that they've nurtured and i think you know the fact that that we're getting behind that and and the and the nurture the basically we're nurturing the arts here and it's been uh, you know for a while that's what i said that's what kind of pushed me toward wanting to to get the jam room music festival going was i saw you know people like phil blair and other people that were doing stuff i said well you know i'm older than even these guys i should be really contributing myself and that's you know that's where I, as you get older you sometimes you look and say wow i need to do more than just hang out here I'm, i've got the capability of you know contributing so i'm i'm very happy to, to contribute to anything that that you or any anybody else wants to uh, to throw out there but i and and just having an open door you know i really appreciate you know if you want to look at columbia over maybe some other some other locales like i've tried to do some stuff uh you know saying casey or something like that and i found that that columbia is a much more of an open door you know uh they say oh you want to help us here great we appreciate your help you know, oh, we want to hear that. You know what I mean, and that's that's always usually been a good I hear thing. about all the no's. So hearing something positive. Well, is if great. you if you start looking at your other options to other cities, I mean, Columbia is definitely more of an open door. If you want to help out or you want to get involved, Columbia says, you know what, we could use the help. Not oh, we we don't want you coming in here because it might threaten our position in the pecking order. And I think that's what you have a lot of smaller towns. You know, everybody's so protective of their spot. They don't want a new person coming in, contributing and helping out because it might diminish their their part i guess i'm talking about basic bureaucracy yeah. where where instead of being worried about making things better and a better quality of life for everybody they're worried about their own job and their own position and their own status i don't really feel that that's happening here in columbia everybody just wants things to be better they want things to work well and if i could say a bottom line that's what we have going on here it's happening now and it started happening you know a little while back and i think 
that I never felt like I like anybody looks at me as some sort of threat to what they're doing when I'm trying to do something good. They're just trying to pile in and help me fill and in assist, the gap. Yeah, assist, assist me, or I'm the other way around. I'm trying to help them do what they're trying to do. So. Well, that, Jay, thanks for being here today, folks. The, we have Jay Matheson from the Jam Room, Jam Room Festival. Uh, if you haven't been there, please go. It's a great event. You October need to 1st it. this year. October 1st, so you can you can drink some German beer, listen to some uh, no OPA bands, I know, but uh, you still can celebrate October by joining uh, the Jam Room Festival. We appreciate, Jay, for all you do in the music industry, for bringing forth things in our community. Uh, I w- I'd be remiss if I didn't say, if you haven't been to the WIG, because we have talked about the WIG today, go down there, get a beer, have a hamburger, say hello to Phil and the gang, and um, we, we hope everybody will tune in next time. Thanks for, for listening in.